Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome to our worship service. Uh, Today we're continuing in the book of James. Now for those of you that haven't been with us or brand new today, for example, what we always try to do is we try to catch you up. Try to catch you up in case you fell asleep or give me a minute miss, but (laughs) probably the former rather than latter. But anyway, we're glad you're here. So we try to catch you up. So you'll notice in the bulletin, we also try to give you kind of an outline of the sermon and we try to have catch you up on where we are. So if you remember a few weeks ago, we started off and we talked about who James was. And we know, for example, let's go on to this. We know that James is the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he's a half-brother because Jesus Christ's father was actually the Holy Spirit. But James was also the bishop of Jerusalem at the time. He was a very important man. And he's writing to the scattered tribes. This is, these are the people in Jerusalem. These are Jewish believers, traditionally, um, that had to leave Jerusalem uh, because of the persecution. We saw that after Saul... Okay, the Pharisee came, you know, breathing fire and trying to arrest all of the Christians. And persecution broke out. And as a result, the, the, the Christians were, were scattered. And, and we talked a little bit about um, uh, that, that during the times of trial, we're supposed to be glad. And we said, well, that's kind of difficult. But then we used the illustrations from the Hallmark movies, remember? Use the illustrations from the Hallmark movies. And we said, just like a Hallmark movie, sometimes there's dips and there's, there's depressions and you wonder how it's going to work out, but it always works out at the end, that we're supposed to be glad because God has a, has a plan for us. Now, last week, we looked at wisdom. And wisdom was fun because we said that with age comes wisdom. With age comes, now, of course, sometimes age comes alone, but, but with age comes wisdom. <laughs> And the the words I left with you is that understand that with age comes perspective. And the best way to look at wisdom is a perspective. We can have all the knowledge. We can have all the head knowledge. We can have gone to many, many schools. But wisdom is beyond that. It's something that God gives us. It's a perspective of knowing the right thing to do at at the right time. So today we'll be continuing that. Um, but the topic of my sermon today is rich and poor. Rich and poor. And we're only going to look at it, just a few verses in James. We're going to continue on. But as we read these verses, you'll see there's, there's a lot to talk about. And there really is. Um, in fact, these verses that we read are just a prelude to what James will unpack a little bit more for us in chapter 2. So let's go ahead and get started. In James chapter 1, verses nine, verse 9 through 11, it says this. It says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuit. Okay, so let's just take this uh, verse at a time, as we usually do, and we'll begin with this verse 9 that says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, James is giving some advice to two particular classes of Christians, two people that he's talking to. The first one is the lowly, and the other one is the rich. Now, that gives us a clue on who the lowly are. Because there's a number of ways that you could be lowly. You could be born of a servant. You could be a slave. You could not have a lot of different things. But basically, we're talking about the rich and the poor, those that are not rich, okay? So 
these are, we can assume that the lowly brother, and I love it, it says brother, which means these are believers, these are Christians, these are people in the body of Christ. James says a lowly brother, and he's referring to the poor. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Well, that sounds like good news, right? To be lifted up. That's what exaltation means. It means to be lifted up, raised, raised to a higher level, to be, to be promoted. I remember when I was four, I, I got promoted a few times. It was always fun to be promoted because often it came with more money, more responsibility, but it was nice to be promoted. Um, so... Um, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, now, Jesus said, be careful that you don't try to exalt yourself. Don't exalt yourself. Let somebody else lift you up. He gave the example, for example, in the parable of the, of the man that went to the, to the, to the, to the table. A feast was being given and sat at the high table. And then what happened, the Bible says that the, the host came and said, what are you doing? Sit at the head table. You know, you go back at the end of it. That's my translation, but that's kind of what it says. It says, what are you doing up here at the, at the good seats? You need to be back with the cheap seats, right? You need to be back somewhere else. So you have to be careful about exalting yourself. But we know that God does exalt. Uh, for example, in the Old Testament book of Joshua, it starts off with the words that Moses, my servant, is dead. And then because Moses was dead, there was a job opening, a job opening for Joshua. Joshua had been in training for 40 years. He's uh, sitting with Moses, listening to how Moses would teach and how he would, he would lead the people and how he would judge the people. So Joshua had a lot of hands-on training. So this is what it says. It says in Joshua 3.7, it says, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses I will also be with you. That's Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. And then after that, Israel crossed into the promised land. And it continues. And God again exalts Joshua. And it says, The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So, that's how Joshua was exalted. The question is, how are these lowly believers that James is writing to, how were they exalted? Well, there's a couple of different ways. For one thing, they're now believers. So regardless of their status in life before, regardless of whether they were servants or they had no money or they were just scraping to get by, the Bible says they're now joint heirs with Christ. They're joint heirs with Christ. They've been exalted. They are now believers. There's nothing better than being a believer because you have a future that's unlike anybody else. And what was unsure in the past is now made sure through Jesus Christ. Romans 8.17 says, for example, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Whether these lowly believers understood this fully or not is not important. The idea was is that they were now exalted. They were just like every other believer. The Bible says they're no longer Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, rich nor poor, even male or female. All are, are one in Christ. Now, I have no doubt that many of these were servants and they had no real prospect for any kind of advancement. But in Christ... They're now equal with everybody else in church, right? Everybody comes in the same way. Everybody comes to the Lord exactly the same way. Through repentance to the cross, we're all made new. Historians and theologians tell us that many of the Jewish believers at the time were probably not very wealthy. Just like the apostles, they came from working class. They came from lower classes. They had calluses on their hands. They, they worked for a living. James is addressing the church that is now scattered. 
So whether you were rich or you were poor, you took what you could and you left town and you were on the road. In essence, James is saying, hey, you may have been lowly, but now you're exalted. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Uh, now, that should actually be an encouragement for us today. Because just like the Hallmark movies, there's going to be times when we're not quite sure of exactly what the outcome is going to be. There, there are times, there's been times in my life that I, that I didn't have what I had before. There are times when I've had plenty and times when I haven't had much, but God has always provided. So the idea is, is that at any given time, we have to glory regardless of whether we've been exalted by the Lord or we've brought low. It goes on. James has plenty to say. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in their humiliation... So as much as it's suitable for the lowly brother to glory because they've been promoted, so the rich and their humiliation, James says you are also supposed to give God the glory. Now that's appropriate, actually very good for them, but it's a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more difficult to give God on the way, give God glory on the way down as it is for the poor to be able to give God glory on the way up. So how are the rich made humble? Well, in, in many ways. So for example, the rich um, are made humble because they're now side by side with those that were serving them. They're on the road. They're now in church together with them. They're co-heirs co with Jesus, but they're all co-heirs with Jesus. It's an egalitarian body of Christ where they're all equal. So that's made, they've now been made low because they're no better than anybody else. But that's a good thing. Um, it's kind of like a, a rich man or a woman today, uh, you know, getting saved and coming into church and realizing that they're praying or they're being taught by maybe their preacher is somebody that's even at a lower class. But they're sitting in the pew and they're all listening and they're all being taught together. They're, they're all, all equal in Christ. It, it, can be, it can be humbling for some people. Here's another way. The rich man or woman is humbled through, through trials. Now, all of us have gone through trials. It could be a sickness. It could be a bad investment. It could be that your 401k is now a 201k. I mean, that happens to us. It could be that your retirement plan really didn't work out the way you thought it did. Um, now, for the, for the scattered church, it's easy to understand how they are made humble because they've had to leave everything behind. The rich man um, had to leave it behind in Jerusalem because they had to get on the road and be able to escape the persecution. When I was, uh, I was in grade school, I was probably in third, fourth grade, I, I met but became my best friend. His name was Carlos Pera, and Carlos was from Cuba. And this was the early 1960s, 1959, 1960s, 1961, that time is when I'm going to grade school. And if, if you remember back then, there was a guy named Castro that came to power in Cuba. And he, uh, he went after, typically killed, arrested, and took all the property away from the people that were wealthy. And my friend Carlos, his father was a physician, and not only a physician, a surgeon, a very well-known surgeon in, in Cuba. And they had a fine house. His father was highly respected. Uh, they had servants. They were able to, to have everything they needed. But then Castro was coming after them. And they had to literally get out of Dodge, or get out of Havana, as it was. They had to get out. 
and they had to flee to America. They were able to come to the United States. They had some Cuban friends that were in Chicago, and they settled in our neighborhood in the suburbs of Chicago. And that's where they grew up. And now Carlos's father, even though he was a physician and a surgeon and very well respected in Cuba, had to start over from scratch. And he was working as a physician's assistant at the time, basically carrying the tools in the medical bag and handing the tools that the surgeon needed to him, even though he was highly trained. He was going back to school. His mother, who used to have social events and have big parties at her big house, her hacienda in Havana, uh, was now working as a maid at the local, uh, at the local Holiday Inn. So this couple had been humbled, but they gloried in their humiliation because they were so happy to be in America where they were making good friends, where they had another chance again. They had lost everything, but now in America, uh, they were made low, but at the same time, they were glorying what they had. So let's go on, because James has a lot to still tell us. In verse 10, James says as he says, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. See, this is exactly why those that are made low still need to glory, because just as a flower that passes away, um, they also at some time will pass away. Now, I can tell you, my, my wife, Carol, I tell stories about Carol because she's usually not here, so I can tell stories. So, so, but they're all true. So, so my wife, if you know Carol, one of the things about Carol is she doesn't particularly like flowers. Now, now, that's been great for me, quite frankly, because, you know, I, I tried to give her flowers on Valentine's Day when we first got, you know, we were, we were still dating, and she didn't want the flowers, she didn't care, she wanted chocolates instead. Chocolates are a lot cheaper than roses, let me tell you, a lot cheaper. And I think one of the reasons that she doesn't like flowers, because you know how flowers are, I mean, even if you get them before they're starting to bud, and you get them from the florist, and they're just starting to bud, they're only going to last, even in water. They're only going to last seven days, ten days. They don't last real long because after a while they're sitting on your kitchen counter and, and they've, they've, they've turned to dust. I mean, the, the stalks are now brown and all the pretty leaves and flowers are now just, just a mess. So my wife has never really liked them, okay? And like I said, that worked out pretty for us, pretty good for us. But, but most likely, the people that James is writing to understand this as well because they're coming from Israel. And Israel, for much of its history, has been an arid desert. It's been a, a place of jackals and rocks. That's basically it. Um, Samuel Clements, you know him as, as, uh, as uh, Mark Twain, traveled to, to the Promised Land, to Palestine, back 135 years ago. I mean, can you imagine what it was like trying to get to Palestine? But he wanted to go. And he wrote that it was nothing but rocks and jackals. It was an arid, desert-like area. And people that know Israel know that there's two seasons, pretty much like we have here. Two seasons. And they have a dry season that lasts from April through October, and the landscape turns into a desert. It's typically brown and hardly anything grows. And then they have a rainy season that runs from November through March. Now, it's that during that time that the desert becomes alive becomes alive with wildflowers and the, and the green pastures. Psalm 23 that talks about the green pastures is, is during this time and all of a sudden the hills turn green with, with beautiful flora and flowers. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last because come April, the sun gets hot and scorching and it no longer rains and all of that green fades away and the flower fades as well. And this is exactly what, what James is talking about. The, by 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 April, all of a sudden, the red and the greens and the blues and the violets and the oranges and the yellows, they all, they all fade away. 
the flowers of the field all pass away. Now, see, for the rich man, in the scale of eternity, when you think about it, whether you live 70, 80, 90, or even more than that, life is still a very short season compared to eternity. If we place our identity and our security and our riches, we will at some point be, be humbled. If it isn't testing, trials, sickness, or even the egalitarian nature of our Christian churches, when a rich man dies, he leaves everything behind. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew uh, chapter 6. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but where th or where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when the rich man dies, if he's invested in this world and everything that he's invested in dies, dies with him. If, however, if the rich man has sent it on ahead, then when the rich man dies, he's sent it on ahead for him because it's been kept safe in heaven. Uh, this is what the, the Bible says. It says, for no sooner ha has the sun risen in the burning heat than it withers the grass, the flower falls, and the beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Again, we refer to the wildflowers of Israel, or my wife's predilection to not like flowers, because eventually they, they all die, and they all die way too soon. James, like the scattered, scattered tribes of Israel, is referencing um, that seasons are often short, way too short. By mid-April, the strong sun comes, and again, all of the reds, the greens, the blues, the violets, the oranges, they're, they're all faded away. However, let's, let's leave a, end on a positive note. When I was in seminary, my, my prof always said, try to leave your congregation with a positive note of some kind. So I'm going to do that for you. As I mentioned earlier, um, much, through much of its history, Israel has been a very arid, desert-like area. There wasn't much attractive about Israel. Now, however, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that in the end times, things would change. This is what the prophet Isaiah said 2,700 years ago. He said, even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. And there will be an abundance of flowers and singing in joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel on the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of the Lord. That's Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 and 2. Again, written 2,700 years ago. 2,700 years before Israel comes back into the land. You know, if you go to the website and you go to the Tourist, uh, uh, tourist Bureau of Israel, uh, you'll find that they're particularly proud of their... Try it again. They're particularly proud of how they've been able to reclaim the desert areas. They use drip irrigation to minimize evaporation using 85% recycled water. 85%, that's amazing, isn't it? We don't recycle anywhere near that. 85% of the water in Israel is recycled. In the past 55 years, Israel has become one of the only places on earth that's reclaiming the desert. In 1764, Israel was 85% desert. Now it's 60% desert. In addition, in 2000, Israel began construction on seawater desalination plant on its southern coast just south of Tel Aviv. 
Over the past 20 years, Israel has become the world's leading saltwater desalination architect. And in September of 2012, they filed a patent in the United States on system and method of desalination of water. All of this points to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Um, in Israel, there is an, indeed an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. And for those that have been to Israel, they remark at the flowers. I mean, they're prepared to see the, the wailing wall. They're pre prepared to see where Jesus was born. They're prepared to see the tomb where Jesus was laid. Um, they're, they're prepared to see those types of things in the old city. But they're not prepared to see the flowers and the fields and the beauty that Israel has that was prophesied 2,700 years ago. You know, God is, God is good. He's faithful and just. And God is the one that will exalt us, and God is also the one that will humble us. And whether we are exalted or whether we are humbled, we're to rejoice. Because God is the one that's at work in our life. We have a future that is beyond our imagination. It's so much better than we can possibly even hope or think. All of us can call out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and give glory because of the redemption that's ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.com. Org.